Ecclesiastes chapter 11 today. We are one chapter away from being done. We've been walking through the book of Ecclesiastes, talking about how Jesus is hope. Remember now Solomon, he's uh, the wisest man who had ever lived up until that point in time. He had been a king. He had uh, a thousand different uh, wives, 700 wives, 300 mistresses. He had land beyond belief, wisdom um, in, in all areas of life. And he's to the end of his life. And like a good grandpa, he's sitting down and he's um, looking at us and saying, I I don't want you to make some of the mistakes that I made. I want you uh, to live with wisdom and to to follow God. And so it doesn't ever mention Jesus' name. Of course, it's a thousand years before Jesus came that this book was written, but we know everything in the Bible points to Jesus. And we're walking through um, this this kind of mini-series within a series in chapter 10 and 11 called Wisdom in Action. We've just titled it that, and this is part three of three. Um, all of Ecclesiastes is what we consider wisdom literature. The Bible is broken up into literary genres. And so um, you you see um, in the New Testament, you've got the narratives. That'd be like the Gospels. You've got historical books like the Book of Acts, talking about the early church. You've got, um, uh, you've got pro- prophetic books or um, uh, books that or books of wisdom like Proverbs. Um, you could maybe throw Psalms in there, um, Song of Songs, uh, Ecclesiastes. These are all different genres throughout the Bible. And so in the wisdom literature, here's the struggle for some of us. Some of us, we want, uh, we want steps one, two, and three. And so we want, we want the Bible just to say, here's what you do next, and then after that you do this, and then after that you do this. And sometimes life isn't like that. Sometimes life just comes at you, and you have to have God's Word hidden in your heart. And so the wisdom principles that we've talked about over the last two weeks and finish up today, uh, 15 different principles, are just that principles. They're not a process. These are things that you've got to write down, you've got to study, you've got to think about. Um, because when you face circumstances, you'll be able to recall these things and say, okay, I've got wisdom. Wisdom isn't just knowledge. Wisdom isn't just uh, something that we have in theory or philosophy. Wisdom is knowing the right thing to do and then doing the right thing. So it's both in knowledge and in action. That's what wise people do. They know that it's, it's not just what you know or just what you do. It's about combining both of them. So all of the Bible ultimately points us to the good news, but we get good advice all along the way. So we're going to jump in. Uh, Let's give you guys who are just joining us tonight a little bit of a rundown as to where we've been in the last chapter over the last couple weeks. Here's principles one through five uh, in verse eight of chapter 10, verses eight and nine. And we talked about considering the risk. Life is risky. Some things are risky. Consider it before you jump in. Um, Verse 10, work smarter, not harder. Uh, verse 11, don't wait until it's too late. Sometimes you've got to make decisions quick and with some urgency and prioritize things in life. Verses 12 through 14, we talked about keeping tabs on your mind and your mouth. We let our thoughts get away from us. Our mouth will get away from us. Verse 15, know God's plan. Fools don't know God's plan. They get exhausted when they try to figure out, what, what do I do with my life? And those who know God's plan uh, can be confident and sure in that. Last week, uh, we talked about at the end of chapter 10 into chapter 11, principles 6 through 10. We talk about valuing good leadership. Quality of leadership in your life dictates your quality of life. Solomon tells us that. Verse 18, laziness creates messes. You see, laziness in and of itself is a problem, but the damage that it creates 
um, sometimes is a bigger problem. Verse 19, invest wisely. Be smart, not just with your money, but with your life. Verse 20, don't undermine authority. We could preach that over and over and over in 2017. In verse 1 of chapter 11, take risks that you won't regret. There's going to be risky things. Life is risky. All decisions have risk involved. But there's ones in life that you know, I won't regret. And those are the ones where you give your heart to the Lord, where you bow down to Jesus, where you say, God, whatever your plan is, I don't know what it's going to be for me. I don't know how it's going to look. But if, if I give my life to Jesus and I repent from sin, I follow you, I know I'll never regret that. Never heard anyone ever regret that. Never heard anyone regret that. So here's our verses tonight, verses 2 through 6 in chapter 11. But divide your investments among many places, for you do not know what risks might lie ahead. When clouds are heavy, the rains come down. Whether a tree falls north or south, it stays where it falls. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. So these proverbs, these pithy statements full of truth, um, a lot of times revolve around uh, agriculture, farming metaphors, and maritime metaphors, talking about um, the sea and trading. Verse 5, just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. Plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon, for you do not know if profit will come from one activity or another. Or maybe both. All right, let's walk through. Here's principles 11 through 15. Start in verse 2. He said, go, he said, But divide your investments among many places, for you do not know what risks might lie ahead. Remember in verse 1, we closed off last week, or ended last week, and we talked about sending your grain overseas. Um, this is his way of saying, invest overseas, invest, um, diversify your portfolio, so to speak. Be generous with it. Principle 11, diversify your investments. Diversify your investments. So we have a saying similar to this. 3,000 years later, we might say it a little bit different, but how would we say that you should diversify your investments? We'd say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Right? You hear that? Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Now, it's got a couple meanings, just like most of these proverbs. Uh, the first one uh, is financial, right? And now if you go to a financial advisor and you talk about diversifying your portfolio, investing in lots of different things, in general, that's always advised. That's a good plan, right? Because if one thing falls, you hurt, but you don't die. That's the big idea. So diversity is good when it comes to investing financially because you don't want to lose it all. But there's a bigger meaning, and I want to tap into that here. Diversity in other areas, right? Diversity uh, relationally or in your disciple-making. What does your relational portfolio look like? Do, um, do the people that you hang out with, that you spend time with, that you pour into, do they look like you? Are they about your same age, same gender, same race, same general background, same age? Do, do, they, do they act like you? Are they about the same level of spiritual maturity? Right? Or do you, you see, that's the 
that's the heart of man. We generally want to stay around people who are like us, right? Because it's comfortable. We, we want to be able to look at our friends and basically look in the mirror and say, oh, yeah, you guys are just a different version of me. <laughs> and, and some of us, we, we have a hard time going out of our comfort zone and, and getting to know people who we're not comfortable with. We don't know their background. It's not like ours. We don't know their experience because it's just not like ours, and it doesn't always feel comfortable bridging those gaps and getting to know those people. But it's important, you see, because Jesus died for the many so that you and I can reach the many. Um, This is why the gospel is so beautiful for us relationally is because we get get to get to know everybody. We got a message for everybody. It doesn't end with people who look like us, act like us, and got the same age and maturity levels as us. We can talk to people and be able to bridge gaps because this message transcends everything. That's what the gospel does. This is one reason I love grow groups, uh, because we encourage diversity in every way. We want it to be intergenerational. We want you to be uh, with mature believers. We want you to be with people who don't even care about Jesus. But for whatever reason, they're coming to your grow group. Maybe they like the food. I don't know. We, we want you to be with people who challenge you, who make you think about your faith, who, who make you um, struggle with things so that you can grow. If you're at the gym and you work out by yourself all the time, you tend to be complacent. It's hard to stay energized in growth when you're just by yourself and no one's challenging you but you. But you have a buddy at the gym, (laughs) you're going to lift a little more. You're going to run a little bit further because if they are, you are. Get out of your comfort zone. Let Let me just say... One of the issues with having a small box when it comes to friends, right? The, the, the group of people that we say, yeah, this is who I'm comfortable with. One of the, one of the, one of the issues with it is it's, it's high risk, high reward in that you, um, you have all your eggs in, in one basket, right? Um, but it also, it, it tends to make you compromise. Like you don't have hard conversations with people because you're scared of losing everything. If you only have a few close people in your life, Sometimes you don't want to have those hard, hard talks uh, because you lose everything. I remember when I was in Hutchinson um, 10 years ago, and I moved down there, and I was only down there a month before I started dating a girl. And I just met her in school, and I didn't know anybody in Hutchinson. And I dated her for a year and a half. And probably nine months into that relationship, I knew this was not going anywhere. It was toxic. It wasn't good. But you know what? Everything that I knew in Hutchinson was somehow tied to her. She introduced me to the church that I now pastor at. She introduced me to um, what would basically become my family down there. Her family became my family. Her friends became my friends. I put all of my eggs in one basket with her. And so when I realized this relationship stunk, it was really hard for me to say, you know what, let's have a hard talk. Because I wasn't just giving up her, I was giving up everything else. How many people stay in horrible situations because in order to make things right here, they lose everything around it? A lot of us do. Matter of fact, this is what manipulators do. They want you to put all all of your eggs in in their basket so that you don't have anywhere else to go. You've got to be careful relationally with folks like that.
Some of us, um, let me just challenge you. Take a look at your life right now. Is there anyone in your life that you would say, well, if something happened to them, I just couldn't live without them? Well, well if, if they left, I, I, it would be over for me. I, I wouldn't know what to do. You see, it's good to love well. It's good to love deep. It's not good to find your everything and anyone not named Jesus. I love my wife. She will never be my everything. I love my son to pieces. He will never be my everything. I would be devastated to lose either. But they're not Jesus. And the second that you put one of those people or someone close to you, maybe it's just you, (laughs) in the place of Jesus, it's going to be really hard to have a healthy relationship because now when they have a spot as an idol in your life, you're never going to call them out. You're never going to call them out. You're never going to have those hard talks. Jesus, he, um, he had relational diversity. He had issues all the time. People um, came up to him, and he reached out to everyone, whether they be religious, whether they just be a bunch of sinners, whether they be Jews, whether they be Gentiles, whether they be Romans, whether they be you name it. He talked to everyone. He ministered to everyone. He cast his seed everywhere. He wasn't scared to lose them. Let me just challenge you to um, make it an effort this week. Get to know someone that you wouldn't normally get to know. Get uncomfortable relationally for the sake of the gospel. It might just free you up to not be so dependent on certain people not named Jesus. Verse 3. When clouds are heavy, the rains come down. Whether a tree falls north or south, it stays where it falls. It stays where it falls. Principle number 12, expect hardship. Jesus tells us there's going to be hardship, right? But expect hardship. Now, this verse basically is two ways of saying the same thing. This proverb is saying, bad things are inevitable. Some of them are predictable. Some of them are not. Some, some bad things in your life you're going to see coming. You're going to check the radar. You're going to see, hey, the clouds are gathering. They're getting dark, right? Even my three-year-old, he sees clouds. He says, oh, looks like it's going to rain. Like he knows that the rain is coming. And then other things in your life are like the trees that fall down after the storm. You wake up in the morning and you say, I knew it was a storm last night. I had no idea that our fence would be broken to pieces because those trees fell. Some things you can predict, some things you can't, but they're inevitable because ultimately many of them are out of your control. And so you got to expect hardship. doesn't mean you're an Eeyore, that you run around depressed, right? But Jesus knew hardship was coming. And yet he still had joy and peace and comfort from God. Some of us, um, some of us, if we were honest, we love comfort and security and we, we fear harm so much that we've become delusional. That, that if you asked us, what do we care about most? or what do, You see, like we're, we're just kind of worried people. We worry about people in our lives um, having tragedy. We worry about things getting out of balance, out of whack in our house. We worry about people dying. We worry about jobs that we might lose. We just worry about anything that means change. And it just tears us up inside. And we've become functional addicts of 
safety, and security. And so then we blame God when any of those things get pulled out from us and we say, God, why would you let that happen to them? Why would you take that job? Why would you? And he's saying, did you not know that you're on earth? <laughs> and earth is broken. And things will happen. Like, I'm perfect, I'm holy, and one day you're going to be with me forever. But until then, expect hardship. Expect it. I, maybe this is a little morbid. But this is always this was one of the ways that it just clicked with me, and I, I had this thought one day, um, and, and it was random. I'll ask you hypothetically, say everyone in your life that was close to you died of old age. That would still mean if everyone died of old age, forget the cancer, forget the drunk driver who would forget the car accident, forget all the tragedy, everyone close to you just died of old age. That would mean most of us would experience the deaths of most of the significant people in our lives. Your mom, your dad, your aunts, your uncles, grandmas, grandpas, maybe even your spouse, friends, brothers and sisters. That would be best case scenario. And so then you throw in the cancer, you throw in the tragedies, and there's going to be hardship. But some of us, we just do so much to try to avoid it. We don't want these bad things to happen. And I understand that, of course, that makes sense. And yet, security can't be our God. Jesus is security, but a whole different kind of security than most of us want. Do you expect hardship? Do you... Do you know that cars break, that houses break, bones break, three-year-olds break their arms, right? People break. And yet Jesus didn't freak out when it happened. Let me, let me give you this um, bit of practical advice. There was a book that I read years ago. I think um, it was just called Margin, Richard Swinson. He was a, a doctor who wrote it. For most of us, the practical way outside of being diligent in the things that we can control and, and trusting God in the things that we can't control, most of us, what we need to do is we need to make sure there's margin in our life, that there's space, that there's area for us to adjust to hardship because it's going to happen, right? So um, in your budget, you need margin. So you said, well, I thought the car repair was going to be 200 Well, it turned into 400 You need space for that. Well, I didn't think the car was going to break down. Well, it broke down. You need space for that. There's things that, that are just going to come. And, and Tara and I, we got our credit card bill yesterday. And she said, did you see how much that was? And I looked at it and I thought, well, we weren't expecting that, that, that. And she said, what are we going to do? I said, well, I already put the money in there because I had margin. I, re- I expected that some bad things would happen. You need it. If you go build a building project and you say, well, how much is it going to cost? I don't know, a million. Well, then you get around to your friends and family and you say, yeah, I think it's going to be a million. And they're all going to tell you what? Might as well double that. Right? Because everything costs more, it takes longer than expected, it's harder than expected. That's just how life goes. You need margin in your schedules. There's a 70% rule. I think we've talked about this many a times. Right? There's the law of diminishing returns. If you don't have margin in your schedule and you say, I'm going to book my schedule 90% full, well, things pop up, right? People call you, emails happen, knocks on doors happen, things happen. And before you know it, you're so stressed out because you didn't plan for any space You didn't have any space for the unexpected. 
So you got to have margin. you got to have margin in your relationship. You know, some of the people that we love the most, we don't have margin for any of their errors. You know, there's going to be times where your spouse comes home and they tell you, I messed up. I didn't pay this bill. I said something stupid. That couple that we were friends with, yeah, I don't know if they're going to want to hang out with us. Um, there's going to be times where you're going to just be like, well, I wasn't counting on you screwing up. But you've got to have margin in your relationships, expectation that, you know what, the people I love the most are going to make mistakes. I need to have grace and recognize. Be prepared when that day comes. Margin. Expect some hardship. Verse 4. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Wise people... Don't wait for perfect. Principle number 13, don't wait for perfect. We seek our perfection in Jesus. We don't seek our perfection in circumstances or even timing sometimes. I don't know that there is such a thing as perfect timing. There's God's timing, which is perfect. But here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, those who overthink things, those who wait for perfect, they never take a step. They never take a step. See, the first part of verse 13 here, he says, farmers who wait for perfect never plant. So this is about starting, right? And then verse 13b, the second half of it, is about harvest. It's about finishing. So when it comes to waiting for perfect, there's starting and there's finishing. Let's throw some scenarios out there. Are you waiting for perfect to start some things? You say, well, I just just want the total package. Okay, you're probably never going to have a boyfriend or girlfriend. You're definitely not going to get married. <laughs> if you want the total package, if you want someone who's just perfect, good luck. You're not perfect. They're, they're not going to be perfect. Well, say, so I, I just, I'm struggling because I want the perfect job. Well, you know, you can, uh, you can get the job. I have people, I won't even go into it. You can work at McDonald's. You say, but McDonald's isn't, eh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait. You know what people who wait for the perfect job is? Maybe McDonald's is your perfect job. People who wait for that, that perfect job, they go unemployed for a long time. Just work. Just work. Well, I'm just, I haven't gotten involved in a church because I'm waiting for the perfect church. The church isn't perfect because the church is made up of guess who? Us. And so we're the imperfect boyfriend go to church and, and the imperfect person looking for the imperfect boyfriend. Guess what? Like, that's the, that's the imperfect church. It's all of us. What are some things that um, you're waiting for the perfect time for to finish? So you want to harvest. What are some things? Maybe you say, well, I'm looking for the right time to retire. I don't know. The economy is a little iffy. Well, the economy is the economy. It's always going to be iffy. Well, I'm looking for the right time to finish this relationship. I want to break up with them. Well, why? You've known for how long? Well, it's been like two years. Well, why, why don't you break up with them? Well, their cat died four years ago. I just don't want to. It's just a hard time for them. That was four years ago. I'm not saying that cats dying isn't a big deal. But there's never going to be a perfect time to end it. You say, ah, we'll just, we'll just pump a little more money into the car, a little more money into the house, and then we'll sell it. But boy, it's been nickel and diamond on us to pieces. If it's a lemon, it might just be time to get rid of it. Here's, here's the deal. Um, 
Perfect timing isn't defined by your feelings or your circumstances. It's defined by God's plan. And his timing is always perfect. Some of us are planners. Some of us, um, some of us plan so much, but we don't do much. Some of us, uh, we, we don't ever take a step because we overthink things and we think at first optimistically and then it turns pessimistically and we don't move. How many of you have woken up on a, on a Saturday morning and said to your significant other or friends or family, said, you know what, we should go hiking or we should go to the lake today. Yeah, it's going to be a beautiful day. And then they say, yeah, okay, that could be cool. And then you say, you know what, here's what we can do. Um, we can go meet over here um, and, and then we'll take off from there and we'll get there. It'll be good. Well, let me check the radar real quick. Well, it doesn't say any rain, but Oh, gosh, sometimes it just gets so windy out there. Well, make sure you bring your sunscreen and your hat. Okay, yeah, we'll do that. You know what? Gosh, it's going to be hot. When are we going to get there? Well, it's probably going to be about 95. Well, should we even do it? Do you guys even want to do it? You don't even want to. You're just doing it because I suggested it this morning, aren't you? And then before you know it, it's 4 p.m. Nobody's at the lake. No one went hiking, and you're all miserable because you planned, but you overthought it so much because it just wasn't perfect. Just go to the lake, man. Just go to the lake. Just have fun. Just enjoy it. Some of us just won't take a step. I remember um, I remember at the beginning of the summer, Silas, when we would go swimming, really at the end of last year and beginning before we did the swimming lessons, he would stand at the edge of the pool. And as much of a rascal as he is in most things in life, and we can't trust him, we knew around a pool, like there ain't no way he's going to get in. He was scared to death of it. And he would stand at the edge of the water, and he would... Um, he would, he, would, he would say, Daddy, are you going to catch me? I said, yes, I'm going to catch you. I'm standing right here. The dead, but is, is it going to be cold? Yeah, it's, it's going to be fine. Just jump in. Well, what if, am I going to go underwater? I don't want my head to go underwater. And I said, it's okay. You might go a little underwater. And he would ask a million questions to get it. He wouldn't jump. He wouldn't jump. Let me see here. Let's see if this pops up for you. This was him by the end of the summer. He um he changed a lot real quick. For a three year old to go from I won't get in the water to you know what, we're gonna try a little side flip and just see if that's fun. Um the water was still cold. He might have still been unsure if daddy was gonna catch him. Um but he did it. You see when the father says, You gonna do this or what? You just do it never going to be the right time in your mind. You're not going to feel like it. Jesus, listen. Romans 5 says that at the perfect time, while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. After 400 years of silence from God, they probably weren't expecting, they should have based on prophecy, but many weren't expecting the Messiah to come. And when he comes and he's got this ministry, now it's thriving, more people, thousands of people following him. I doubt his disciples looked at him and said, you know what, you're roughly 33 years old. Um, Yeah, you you know what, this would be a good time for you to die. Probably not thinking that. But he went, he died. And you know what, if it was up to him, look at, did he feel good in the garden the night before he died? He's sweating blood. He said, Father, if it's your will, I'll do it. Of course, he was going to do the Father's will. For you and I, we know it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't feel quite right. If God's saying, do it, do it. If your circumstances, they're not aligning quite right. If he says, do it, do it. 
Verse 5. Just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. All right, number 14. Principle number 14, wise people don't psychoanalyze God all the time. It's good to wonder what God's doing. It's good to, to ponder what God's doing, what he's teaching you, how he's growing you. But there's activity that you just don't know. You don't know. This verse could be translated, um, just as you don't know how the breath of life enters the fetus in the womb. Just as you don't see that. I remember when I was in school, when I was in um, school to be an EMT, and I was learning about how the body works to a basic on a basic level, right? And I remember we're talking about the heart. <laughs> and, and I said, okay, so how does the heart pump, right? And so they're showing us, and they say, well, there's this kind of electrical system that the body has. And they were saying, okay, so, and they say, okay, AV nodes, SA nodes, all these stuff. Okay, I can ponder it. But I would always get back to like this, but I'd say, but how, how <laughs> when, when the heart is in the womb of the mother, and it goes from this kind of blobbish thing into a heart. What, what triggers the electrical system? Something has to start the electrical system. How does flesh just start boom, boom, boom? Like it has to have, uh, I'd always be amazed. Like there, there's no, other than God is doing this, God has to trigger life. So whether it's the wind, you say, how does the wind how do we know which way it's going? How do we know? There's things we can track about the wind. We can guess about the wind. But gosh, there's just a mystery about the wind. A baby in a mother's womb, man, scientists, d- doctors, they know tons about how it all works. But there's still just a couple elements where it's like, eh, that's kind of a miracle. In the same way, there's things that God's doing in your life that you'll never fully understand. Thank God for that truth. How many times in heartbreak and heartache have we wondered, God, what are you doing? Just trusting and knowing you you got to be doing something. Some of us, I think we take it too far. I think some of us, we want to engage with God intellectually, which I commend, I love, I think you should. If you're someone who grows up and just tries to inherit your parents' faith, that doesn't work in the kingdom of God. You have to think about the gospel. You have to think about the Bible. You have to ponder it. You have to analyze it and understand, is this something credible I can put my faith in? Right? Don't be blindly walking into it. Jesus says, count the cost. But at the same time, some of us, we want so many answers that we negate faith. And the Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. But, but we think, you know what? I just, I, I just want to know some more. Okay, seek those things. But you got to understand, where's the end of that, right? And you start to, without even realizing it, you start to see yourself as a peer to God. Say, well, I'm smarter than some of the people around me, and if I can just grow a little, mature a little, learn a little, then I can ponder some of these big theological things that God is doing. And there's an element of that where it's like, God's God, and you're not. And so think about God. You can analyze God, but don't psychoanalyze him all the time. I remember when I was younger, my brother Mike, he was two years older than me, and I was better than most of my peers at basketball. Of course, we were in a tiny little town, so it was like four people. But I was never better than him. And I always thought if I just got a little better, if I just worked a little harder, I'm going to beat him. And the people around me would say, you know, you're going to beat him, right? You know, one day you're going to beat him. I never beat him. 
And that was just my older brother. You're not, God's not two steps ahead of you. He's a zillion steps ahead of you. His ways are higher than yours. His thoughts are higher than yours. The very nature of you and I being finite, meaning we have limits, we have boundaries to the things we can know on earth, make it impossible for us to understand some things of God because he's infinite. He has no borders. He has no boundaries. He's all of wisdom. He's more than wisdom. Let me break this down on a practical level. Some of us, we over-spiritualize everything. You're with your friends, and you're talking about what God's doing in your life, and you say things like, well, you know what? With that job opportunity or that guy or the girl or whatever, like, God, shut that door. So, you must be opening a window. No, maybe he's got central air. Maybe there's, there's no windows or doors being opened right now. Well, well, listen, preachers say, if you got a setback, you better get ready for the comeback, Right? They like to say stuff like that because if you got any kind of hardship, then, hey, somehow God's going to make this awesome. Maybe God's not going to make it awesome. Maybe, maybe sometimes pain is just pain. And God can heal. God can transform. God can use it. Some of us, we, we look at every little element of our life and say, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, and unless we feel like we can figure it out, we don't want to take steps. And God, how many times has he whispered to each one of us and said, you're not going to figure this one out but you still got faith. You still got to take a step. You still got to take a step. What have you been waiting for God to answer that he's saying, I'm not going to tell you that. I'm not going to tell you that. You see, at some point, you and I have got to just choose to trust God. When it comes to things like love and forgiveness, and respect, those are things that biblically we are to give everyone freely. When it comes to trust, you don't just give your trust to people. You don't, you don't just find a stranger and say, you know what, hey, I trust you, take my kids. In the same way, we're called to trust God. But let me ask you, how are you ever going to trust God if you don't take a step of faith? You say, well, I'll only trust God if he's got a faithful track record in my life. Well, he's kept you alive, <laughs> You're not dead, but if you're never going to actually take a step of faith, then you're at this holding pattern with God where you won't move towards him, but you'll blame him for not coming to you. But he says, walk by faith, but you say, well, I got to know if I can trust him. Well, he's told you you can trust him, but you have to learn and choose. You know what? I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to take a step. Engage God intellectually, but don't don't think you can get to a place where you got all the answers and you can't negate faith. It's impossible to please him. Last but not least, verse 6. Some of you guys are getting sleepy. We could do some jumping jacks or something, maybe some wind sprints. I don't know if I could handle wind sprints. Maybe jumping jacks. All right, let's finish strong. Verse 6. Plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon, for you don't know if profit will come from one activity or another, or maybe both. Principle number 15. Don't stop investing. Primarily, don't stop investing in Jesus. Don't stop investing. So, again, we've got a farming metaphor. He uses both morning and evening, talking about the whole day. And it really has a couple different meanings. The first one, just straight context, is financially, right? Again, the whole diversify your portfolio, all that good stuff. That's wise. 
Um, he's saying, sow a lot of seeds. See what grows. Some things are going to grow. Some things aren't. So if you want friends, don't just go up on the playground. This is if you're like a kindergartner, right? And, and say, I'm going to choose one and I hope it works. No, introduce yourself to new people. Don't, don't stand in church and say, you know what? I've been here six months and I just don't feel connected. And then the pastor says, well, have you introduced yourself to anyone? Well, I met the greeter that one day. The greeter was the greeter. Go, go talk to someone else. Go get to know someone else. Go shake a hand. Put yourself out there a bit. And you know what? You're not going to connect with everyone really well, but some you might make really good friendships with. Sow a whole bunch of seed. Know that some are going to get eaten up by the weeds. Some are going to be scorched by the sun. Some are going to fall on rock. They're just not going to grow in depth. But some are going to land on some good soil, and you're going to see some harvest. And you're going to look back and say, Man, I'm so glad I met them. I'm so glad. If you're looking to go into a school, visit a bunch of campuses, right? Sow that seed. If you're looking at getting a job, don't just fill out. Yeah, I see this with college students particularly. Say, have you been filling out job applications? Yeah, yeah, I have. There's one I'm looking at. Tell me about that one. And they tell you about it. Say, well, cool. Well, how many others did you apply for? Well, just that one. I'm going to follow that through. (laughs) That's not how it works, man. I mean, it could, but I don't think it's going to work for you. You, you, you can turn people down, but you've got to sow the seed, right? Better to have offers you turn down than to be one at a time unemployed for years. And then uh, I, I think number two, and this is, this is where we'll park on as we end, um, you can understand this to mean not just diversifying your portfolio, so to speak, but to prioritize what's most important and take care of it in the morning. Right? Invest in the thing that you believe this is going to profit the most. And then throughout the rest of your day, the keep busy part, do things that will benefit that original thing. Do do things that will add to it. Like you don't know what is going to be incredibly profitable and what isn't. Of course, when Solomon says this, he's probably not thinking about Jesus. But when we think about our relationship with Jesus, we recognize, first and foremost, that's what we wake up in the morning and invest in. Throughout the rest of the day, the way we keep busy is thinking about his kingdom and serving him and and doing things that are all part of that original investment. Get involved. Serve. Serve a couple places. Find out where you want to serve. Check out a couple grow groups and then get plugged into one of them. Put yourself out there and and see what God's going to do. I think some of us, um, if our faith is in Jesus, we're kind of in the keep busy all afternoon phase of life and we've become content with our spiritual apathy. Let me, let me just ask you, how's your relationship with God right now? This week? This month? Are you growing? Do you desire to grow? Are you taking steps to actually grow? Are you thinking that somehow you're going to grow without doing anything? If you just keep on doing the same stuff? So if you go to the gym at first, you're going to lift some weights that are going to feel like they're killing you going to run a distance. It's going to feel like it's too far. But if that's all you ever run day after day after day after day, you'll catch up with it. And then you'll say, I'm in maintenance mode. You got to keep pushing yourself. What's your next step? What's your next step? 
You say, okay, I know Jesus is Savior, right? That's my morning investment. That's, that's what I, I, I said. Uh, this is the priority. But how are you growing? What are you spending the rest of your day doing? Are you making an impact in his kingdom? My guess is um, when I ask you, how's your relationship with Jesus? If I asked you secondly, are you, being, are you consistently seeking him? My guess would be if you say, no, I'm not consistently seeking him. Then you'd also say, but I'm not consistently experiencing his power and his presence either. Right? If, you don't, if you don't keep sowing kingdom seeds, you're not going to reap kingdom joy and kingdom peace. And some of us say, well, there was a time I was in a Bible study like two years ago and I was really on fire. Well, and now you're not? Why don't you... Do a Bible study. Do five Bibles to Do whatever you got to do. Well, I used to be on fire for God's word. I'm not dig into his word until you are on fire. Well, I'm just not very happy where I'm serving right now. Then serve somewhere else. There's a million different things you can do. Switch it up. But don't settle for stagnancy. Don't settle for apathy. I am convinced this is the devil's primary tactic for spiritual warfare and oppression in the Midwest. He wants a whole bunch of people to think, okay, I'm pretty good with God, and so now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to settle for spiritual mediocrity until Jesus comes back. Hope that pleases him. And we have resources in the Midwest. We have people who, who truly want to love the Lord, and yet we are, as a whole, fairly a mediocre church. I'm not talking Crosspoint. I'm talking all of us. Let me... Um, let me just end it with this. We, we wrap up these 15 principles. Some of them, they seem so random, don't they? Some of them, we could preach, we could preach almost all of them just on finances alone, right? Um, if you miss the father heart of God in all of this, then, then you miss the point. If you, if you miss that, that Jesus is the better Solomon, He's the greater Solomon. He's the greater David. He's the greater Moses. Moses was a good leader. Jesus is the best leader. David was a good king. Jesus is the best king. Solomon was the wisest man on earth. Jesus is even wiser than him. And if you miss the father heart of God, then some of these things you're going to leave here tonight and you're going to say, well, okay, that's good, but I don't know how it helps me tomorrow. I didn't have many times when I was a kid where my dad would sit down with me and have a heart-to-heart. We, we didn't talk a ton. We kind of just lived in the same house. I didn't sit down with a grandpa on either side of my family and have a real heart-to-heart. There, was, there just wasn't that. I, just, we didn't, I didn't grow up that way. I had solid relatives and family, but they, they just didn't do that kind of stuff. Maybe you don't either. But don't lose the power of what was said tonight in that Solomon's saying, maybe you didn't have a grandpa who gave you a little heart-to-heart, but let me be your grandpa. And, and, and he's saying, take notes. <laughs> Apply this. Think about it today. Go home and study it tomorrow. And when you hide God's word in your heart, this is going to come up again when you're going to need it. And you're going to remember, you're going to say, you know what? God's word, man, it goes out, it doesn't come back void. And let it, let it sit here. Because this is God saying, 
I know that you can take two paths. Even as a Christian, you can live foolishly. You can squander some of the things God's given you. Or you can live wisely. You can make good decisions. You can avoid a whole bunch of the drama that everyone else gets. Recognizing there's still bad things that are going to happen. There's still junk in life, right? Because we're on earth. But I want you to live wisely. And I'm telling you how to do it. I'm not telling you theoretically. I'm telling you practically. Here's how you put feet on the ground and live wisely. It's not just for you. It's for his kingdom. Because the more that you let this sink in, the more you can help other people to help it sink in for them. Because God wants to change lives. So what's your next step? Everyone's got a step of faith. When you stop believing that, you stop walking by faith. Take that step.